and we're recording. Oh, my phone, my my headphone just let me know that we're recording. So I'm like, oh, we're recording. Hey, babe, thank you for letting me know that, even though I hit the button myself. I want to meet her, whoever makes those voiceovers. <laughs> right? I really do. Hi, welcome to Already Cancelled with Finn. I am Finn. I'm your host. I am cancelled this week because, well, there's a lot of reasons I should be cancelled. I know this. Um, at this point in time, I still listen to Dirt Nasty in the year 2020. And anyone who doesn't know Dirt Nasty is lucky, highly favored, blessed. But I'm going to tell you this. If you ever watched What I Like About You, you've seen Dirt Nasty act. Because he played the boyfriend of the sister in the first season. Wait, Simon Rex? Yeah. I don't think and he that... has a whole song called 1980, and the first line of it is, whatever happened to your queer party friend? And we knew we should not have let him let that song be a thing, but it did happen. Well, it brought and... him success. He was a, he became an MTV VJ. Yes! Remember VJs? Yes. Yeah, oh my God, do I remember VJs. Man, listen, the one thing I miss about being in North Carolina is that they used to still have VJs when we went to bars. Like, I miss a good BJ. Like, do you remember watching MTV and being like, these VJs, this is what, um, you know, remember the famous Irish one, Michaela Strachan? Well, so I was not allowed to have cable growing up. I grew up in a very Christian household. So I had this thing called uh, 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 CMC, California Music Channel, that, that where I was like, a bootleg I, I mean this is how old i am i had a black and white tv in my room like i am not even joking with you <laughs> um, but man you know i had to tell people that we used to have knobs on our tvs yeah i know yeah like when we're well i mean you're not that old but yeah. i had a knob in my bedroom tv like on my bedroom my when my grandparents bought the trailer they put tvs in all the rooms for everybody and the TV that they put in my room, quote unquote, because I never really showed up to my room, but I was sharing rooms with everybody at that point when I was down there. But they had knobs on the TV, and you have to go up to them, and you better hope you had reception, and you had to have an antenna to watch that shit. And you better have a metal hanger to keep that to keep that antenna working. Oh my working. god. And if you did have a metal hanger, you went and you had to sneak, sneak and steal tin foil from the kitchen because your mother would have shot you if she saw you having it. It's funny how like when you're poorer, like it's kind of like you've grown like you're most it's like you grew up back in time. Like I was having a conversation with some from friends from Argentina and I was explaining what a geriatric millennial is. Have you heard of this? Mm hmm. Yeah. So um, and they're they were like, you know what, in Latin America, growing up in Argentina, we got everything 10 years after the U.S. had it. So, you know, they knew all the music that I listened to, all the TV shows, all the electronics, all of that. It was almost like we grew up together, even though they're 10 years younger than yeah. me. Um, and the same thing when you don't have things growing up, like you take second hand, third hand to, to, you know, to make things work. And like, yeah, having a black and white TV sucks, but at least it's better than nothing. Right. I mean, my family, we were very like, my family tried to humble me. I mean, to be fair, I was originally born in humble. I had humble beginnings, you know, 
bitches, y'all need to listen to the episode named Belly Button. It will tell you all about my humble beginning. But we didn't have like, like when I was a, when I was living with my mom, we didn't have so much that I when I like got older, I'm like, oh shit, no wonder I'm so obsessed with having a TV in my bedroom. But then I look at the kids now, like I look at my nephews and my mom, I remember my mom was like, I have to buy a TV for your nephew bedroom. I'm like, no, you don't. No, you don't. I, I, I can personally tell you as a bitch who had one in my TV, like a TV in my bedroom as a kid. Now you should have done that. <laughs> you should not have done that. <laughs> look at me. Don't destroy your nephew's life. Look at, I am the, I am the part of, of television in your bedroom. Okay. I watched Secret Life of the American Teenager and I cussed out my family all the time by repeating the same word over and over and over again on whatever topic it was. I'll never forget the abortion day. (laughs) We all were in agreement for someone to have an abortion, even the person having the abortion. But we had to use the word abortion 50,000 times in 24 hours to let it all just... It's like an episode of Secret Life of the American Teenager. Do not do it to yourself. Speaking, yourself. Of, speaking of abortion, did you see the speech that that high schooler gave? Yes. That was and intense. It, when I first heard it, I was listening to, because you know me, I listen to TYT every morning on the way to work. That's how I do work. Um, and I heard it on a podcast first, like on TYT. And I'm just like, oh my God, I am on the R train heading to Queens crying. Because like, as, even as someone who does not have a wound, who cannot give birth, I feel for those women or those people who do have wounds and who can give birth and what the laws are doing that's hurting them. And like, let's be real, people who can't give birth shouldn't be telling people who can give birth what to do with their body. Yeah, and like what I was really taken about back aback by was she's 17, she's valedictorian of her class, then you know she's she wants to go into journalism and media. You know, she wants to go out and get a job in telling the public about what's going on in the world. And she decides to go against the approved speech, which you know, the school, they could have taken her degree for that. They could have, they could have done a lot of stuff that, that could have held problems. But the fact is that she, she had the conviction to say, you know, this is an important issue. I have a platform and I'm going to utilize it for, for the greater good. And, you know, that's what I really admire about this generation. I mean, think back to when we were in high school, I would have been scared if I was a Victorian. And even if it was something I was passionate about, I'd be scared that of like the system doing something against me retaliating in some way but because people today have that global power to kind of share information i love that i mean look at look at um uh what's her name uh the climate change oh greta thunberg greta yeah i mean she's powerful you know oh my god yes i mean it's it's wild because like i look at my nephews and i look at the conversations that they're having with me and with my mother and with their mothers, you know? And I mean, the first, I, what's wild to me is that like this generation, so you know how I, I try to be a good uncle, right? But I try to be the cool uncle. And I want them to understand the word consent. Mm. 
And my 18-year-old nephew and my 13-year-old nephew, both of them had the same reaction of like, yeah, we know that word. We understand that word. We are going to make sure we live that word. And I'm over here like, bitch, you know how many adults who are my age, even though like we're quote unquote adults, like let's be real, we don't know shit. Like, but you know how many adults my age who are fighting with understanding that word? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it's it's power and, you know, people think that they they own other people. I mean, even even like a small thing, and this is like something I struggle with, is time management. Like that that's consent when you're asking someone like meet me at a certain time and you're violating that by taking your time or being like that's a form of a violation of consent yeah. but then you know but but i think like there's a lot of institutions that young people go to where there's they see that in real time I and mean, like take house of yes you know they are they're the consent police like right if, if you, mm-hmm. someone brushes on you but like they keep that space so that people feel that they can be themselves and, and safe without people you know doing anything against their will Okay, so sorry. Hi, your name is this is Nikki. Okay, yeah. um, Nikki and I have been friends for like what four years now. Four years, yeah. You were like one of my first friends. I moved to New York. Yes, and when we met, I instantly fell in love with your vibes. Like I was just like, this bitch right here. I don't know what is happening at all. I look at you like Karen Walker looks at Grace. Like, I'm like, honey, what's this? What's that? What's going on? But I can't help but love all of it. I'm Grace. You are definitely Grace. <laughs> I'm like a combination of Will and Grace. But you're I definitely, am, you're, you're a combination of Jack and Karen. Oh, I know I am. I have, dude, I, mm, yeah. I am, I'm the gay that's going to be doing random jumping jack while, while having out jazz hands and judging you. On Percocet. You. Yes, and on Percocet. <laughs> But I love everything about you. Um, what are your pronouns? What do you do? You don't have to do your real job. If you, you know, no real job, I'm trying to keep mm-hmm. my job. Yeah. He, him, his, uh, I identify as a cis male that, you know, born a male, still a male, but I do play a woman. How unfortunate I- for you. I mean, that's what I, uh, I come from, like, like I mentioned earlier, like, I'm a little older, um, I'm under 40, over 30, and um, I, I, I come from, like, a very traditional background, I've embraced that to a fault, unfortunately, and, um, you know, something that I've kind of, like, been tackling is this idea that I'm, I'm chasing this, this capitalist idea, uh, capitalist guilt, they call it where you're like working, working, working and all the other stuff. So there's that one aspect, but then on the other side, um, you know, I do play a woman at night. I'm a drag queen. You've come to many of my shows. Um, nothing special, I, but it's creative. It, your drag is definitely creative. Um, <laughs> you know what's funny is every time I think of you doing drag, I, it brings me back to like baby gay years. Because, you know, during my baby gay years, I was living in North Carolina. Like when I was like 17, 18, 19. And <laughs> I would go to the club and like I knew drag queens. So like I would be their stagehand if they needed somebody to, you know, to hold their money and bring it to them in the back or hold it, you know, hold this piece of wardrobe that they stripped away in the middle of the dance floor. And like being your friend is like like that when like I, I'm like, okay, I know you have help, but I am gonna be right here because 
the teacher don't know what drag is. Well, also, I don't even know. I don't even know what I'm doing half the time. I'm, well, I mean, I, when you do drag part time for fun, but also they give you a platform because this is why I love New York City. Now that I'm in San Francisco, like it's so hard to get drag gigs because everyone's so clicky. But also you're you just have to be your your game has to be so much higher because there's just not as many opportunities in right. New York. Like, you know, there's so many different venues. The culture is so rich. Like you can find I mean, I had my own show within the first year of me doing it. But yeah, you're absolutely right. Like, yeah, you did. Yeah, right? At Dream Baby Bar in East Village. I had that back yes. room. Uh, first rent, of all, rent was written about, in the building. This Can we talk about one of the reasons why you and I are such good friends? It's because we both have a love for the for the Lower East Side and the East Village. Yes. I love living there. Though It's really magical. So much history. Like, the fucking, that fucking part of Manhattan is, like, I know that if I die in New York, it's going to be there. I'm only dying in one of two places, Raleigh or, like, Lower East Side. So, that's it. What are you doing up in the Bronx, then? Come on downtown. I, see, I'm not dying yet, so I'm staying. (laughs) Well, you'd have to give up a full apartment and move into, you know, a small room and share with five people. tiny-ass closet. Do you know how big the apartments are up here? Yeah, no, I've been to your place. I went. It's huge. You know, it is. It's for New York. It's huge. Yeah, That's you can afford it on your own. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, anyway, so we are here talking about today. Well, we we're going to talk about because it's Pride Month, and I'm keeping it Pride themed until I am until the day after I have been drunk in the middle of somebody's village, holding hands with one of the random ex-boyfriends I ran into during the parade or after. And somehow I got glitter on my body and I was not near any of my friends that wore glitter. When was this? Was a previous year? This was like a 2018 event. Okay. That was very personal. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, good part is at the end of the month. So after Pride, this is, I, I don't know what the topic's going to be. Maybe America and all of its bullshit. Well, it might be opening up more. You know, New York might open up more and you can. New York is opening up. I mean, pretty much everything is open now. Oh, God. I went out last night in San Francisco. It's just dead. It's dead. It like, sucks. Um, I went to a studio opening in Brooklyn yesterday. And afterwards, I went to a bar um, on the east side, and then I went home. Well, honey, you need to get on the street and take Fen's canceled show out on the street, interview people in Times Square. No, first of all, do you know how much I hate Times Square? Do you know how much I hate But that's the perfect opportunity because you... Do you not? No, because bitches with their babies. It is 10 p.m. Why is your two-year-old... Not even in a stroller, just walking along, holding your hand in the middle of Times Square at 10 p.m. Bitch, you are a tourist. Take your baby back to the towing spot, that the hotel, the hotel. But that's the whole lure. It's so bright. It's like daytime all the time. Is it? Yeah. Yeah. The the only time- the, pe- people at night be staring at you. 
Yeah, no, some of my favorite things to watch in Times Square, like late at night, is when people do those dance videos, like the TikTok dance videos. And then you have like the crazy homeless people like ruining the videos, like coming up and yelling in front of the camera. Have you seen that? No, I don't want to see homeless people in videos. It's hilarious. Or what I, what, what I do is I fuck with people. I bring like, you know, after the club's closed and it's 4 a.m. But I, I totally get you. Like 4 a.m. you're coming out of Hell's Kitchen going into Times Square and you're seeing like, yeah, couples of kids. It's like, yeah, it's 4 a.m. What are you doing out? Um, Why are you? It, it, I, 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 oh, you, it angered. Look, number one, number one. I have this big problem with tourists coming into the city saying, why are you people out here like this? There are children outside. We don't want our children to see this. Basically, the same shit they say about Pride. Mm. Or seeing gays on TV. So I feel like he's specifying towards the gays. And, like, the first thing I said, bitch, is, like, this is not your city. You don't live here. Why do you care what the children see if they live here? Your children could have been at home. That's where your children belong. Okay, so maybe not Times Square. Where would Fenn do his interviewing if he was out on the street? If I was doing any interviews in the middle of the street, which I won't be, I, Why? I hate people. I hate people. But that's the perfect uh, interviewer. I, I hate people. <laughs> I'd be like, why are you so dumb? <laughs> and then people would just look at me like, excuse me? No. And, but I would probably do it like I would do it in the most gentrified part of Brooklyn, which is Fort Greene. I would do it right near, right in front of Fort Greene Project. So you get the people who are from New York, like the people who live in the project there. And the project looks beautiful now. Um, and right at the same, right across the street, are the rich gentrifiers, I would interview both sides to hear all of their bullshit. Well, I mean, even, I mean, even bedside, I think is more gentrified or is like gentrifying at a higher rate than oh some of the God. other, some of the, I mean, it's just moving out further and further by, you know, in 20 years, Jamaica is going to be, you know, high, high rise luxury living. You know, <laughs> no, but <laughs> I don't remember that. The post. I, you know, you know. Did you see my story? Like, yes. Uh, yeah, they installed the walking sign in Jamaica upside down. Upside fucking. Down. And they left it there. Left it. Cause that shit wasn't new. Okay, that shit was not brand new. That's crazy. Few, there had been a few stickers on the poles by now, so they just let that shit there. But like, how do you even, a worker must not care at all if he's installing it upside, anyway. Fucking, fucking, fucking Jamaica. Yeah. That's all it is. That's all it is. Because you won't see that shit in Midtown. No. You will not see that shit in Midtown. Maybe Cooper Street downtown, because Cooper Street needs to be doing some weird shit sometimes. But other than that, nah. Anyway, this is not what we came here to talk about. Yeah. We came here to talk about pride shit. Yes. So we were going to talk about, well, we agreed that it would, it would be awesome to talk about, you know, the strong women of the pride movement. Yeah. And, like, we all know, you know, Marcy P. Johnson. Mm-hmm. We all know Sylvia Rivera. 
um, I mean, like, let's be real, Sylvia Rivera. Did you watch the documentary? No. Just about Rivera? Huh? Just about Rivera or the Stone the yeah, Stonewall just Riots about, that like, came out pretty, recently? It's pretty dominantly her story. Just pretty much, it's pretty much her story. And it just goes through her life and how she got involved in the movement and what happened to her after the movement. And like, it's a very powerful story. So they talk about her and Johnson creating Star, like the that organization helping like homeless, right, gay youth and everything. Like, yeah, they even talk about the house they started. Hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's really good. I mean, I it, it's important to learn about all the people. But you brought you brought to me someone that I didn't even know. Oh, Bren- Brenda Howard. Yeah, there she was more. She was like the mother of pride so the pride events but as far as like the protests you know i haven't seen any good films about like that actually happening you know like i want to see you know a short film about about the movement i think they actually did make one in like 2000s they, did you, you saw that christmas Street. movie you saw that dumbass movie stonewall that came out no um Oh my God. So there was, it was that movie about a boy, a little white boy who moved to um, New York for school. And he's from like this backward farm town. Mm-hmm. And then he finds out that he's gay. And then Stonewall happened. And they talk about his story, the white boy's story. But they don't talk about like really what happened, like really what happened to Marsha. They don't really talk about, they make Marsha seem like a passing character. Yeah, you know, that's what's so interesting because the people that actually did the initial fighting that had the bravery to stand up to these raids were trans, drag queens, people of color. And, but in order for that to make an impact, because of the power structure at the time and now also, obviously, Mm -hmm. um, you needed, you know, white, males to kind of galvanize behind this action they weren't brave enough to throw you know something uh i don't know what she threw at mother b johnson at the mirror break it which causes the police to get violent with her i think what i think what originally sparked it was when they're dragging her out and she's saying why are you letting them do this to us and that's when people that were in the street hundreds of white males that lived in in greenwich village at the time were like no, this is not okay. And they start throwing stuff at police. And then that's what led to the six days of riots that followed. Um, but going back to, to Brenda, you know, Brenda, Brenda Howard was, was an activist. She knows how to do guerrilla, guerrilla protesting, how to organize, because she, that's just her character. She was, she's one of those people that are at the front lights screaming at police. Um, and one of her friends said, you know, Brenda, you need you. This is like a really important social issue that ha- that that needs support from organizers like you. So and she's an, an out, and she's bisexual. So she's an out bisexual woman. Um, so when people think of pride, they think gay males, obviously. And yeah, you know, and to ha- to know that the mother of pride, the mother of all events in, in the first pride event was the Chris, Christopher Street Parade, where they walked from Greenwich Village up to Central Park, which happened, I think, in 69. 
um, or no, maybe 70, but yeah, she organized that and um, which led to other marches throughout the US and eventually the world. Um, I thought that was a really interesting fact. I mean, I think it's like, I think it's badass because it's a, because like pride is such is an event and a movement that is something that was needed. You know what I mean? Parades are usually more than just a, um, more than, it's more than just a show. It's an act of, of, it's an, it's an act of solidarity. Mm -hmm. Um, and of anger. Yeah, well, that's exactly what what it started out with for the first four or five years. It wasn't let's get together, have big muscled men dancing in underwear, you know, and blasting or music. It was about like we are a recognized subculture and we deserve not to be, you know, um, not allowed to congregate. You know, the big thing was that you couldn't even like so you can't serve alcohol to, to gays when they're out. You can't kiss. You can't hug. Um, and there was a rule which I thought was really interesting when I was reading. Also, it's called the three piece rule where um, you could be arrested if you're a male wearing uh, less than three identifiable, identifiable um, gender pieces of clothing. If there is three or less, you could be arrested for cross dressing. And that was like a rule anywhere. So yep. that's how they're able to get like drag queens and all this other stuff. But before Stone the Stonewall riots, actually, um, you know, it, it was regular commonplace to raid gay bars or illegal um, places where gay people congregated. Um, and everyone knows that the mafia ran all those. But there was a group of men that would go to bars and specifically tell everyone, hey, I'm gay and order a drink. And then they would get arrested. But this also galvanized the community to be like, you know what, like enough is enough. It, it was been leading up to it a long time, you know? Yeah, no, it's. It's wild because it was like in the mid 2000s that it was no longer illegal to be gay in all 50 states. Um, in our lifetime. I know. Yeah. I, and it's crazy because there were so many countries that are still, you know, it's illegal to say you're gay, it's illegal to have sex, it's illegal to do this, this, and this. But the one thing that is always going to be illegal is sodomy. Sodomy's not illegal in the U.S. Thankfully. But. <laughs> <laughs> thank God for us. I mean, thank God because. Uh... No, but I mean, like, if you look at the other countries, like, where people are like, no matter what that, like, even if they don't, even if they don't necessarily say it's illegal to be gay, they make it illegal to commit sodomy, which right. says. Well, a lot of the one time. One or both of you can be prosecuted killed most of the time if, if something yeah. is illegal most of the time the the punishment is death or really long prison sentences because like how do you prove that someone participated in you know sodomy with another male or whatever um but it does happen i remember i was 15 reading xy you remember xy magazine Unfortunately. Yeah. So like back before the internet, before we had <laughs> Grinder and all that, the only in high school, when I was in high school in the early 2000s, like the, the only way I can connect with the culture was this magazine called XY. And it was basically just a bunch of pictures of boys in their underwear and but whatever. But sometimes they would have like um, exposés on like around the world. And I remember and it's really impacted me that there was someone my age, 13, 14, two guys Two boys that were kissing found by one of the fathers the father turned his son and the other guy who was kissing in and they hung them 
um, in the town square. And I was like, wow, like that scared me actually knowing in the United States that couldn't happen, but still that it, it happened in the world and in this day and age, like that scared me. Yeah. Um, but we still have a long way to go. You're right. Like, I think that's why it is so important to, to participate in pride. You know what I mean? Like these women worked hard for us. Like, and when I look at the women who influence our lives, they're always going to be strong women, you know? And I feel like that's a trope as well. Like, this quote-unquote strong women, like, a lot, a lot of time it dehumanizes them. You forget that they're also soft, that they're also loving, that they're also, you know, the type of people that sometimes need to cry. And, like, they put so much of themselves into making sure that we can, you know, move forward. Well, you've had a lot of really powerful women in your life growing up. Uh-huh. Yep. Terrified of all of them. <laughs> <laughs> That's why you're gay. Even beyond death. <laughs> like, these bitches could probably come back and kill me right now. Like, I, I might die by a ghost. A ghost might be the death of me. Be like, there's no, there's no DNA on these knives. That's because there was a ghost of his grandmother. Um, but there was someone else you mentioned too, wasn't there? A third person in the riots. Oh, um, so please forgive me. I do not know how to pronounce this name. It is, um, it is very, it is, it, it's from the Bayou. Stormy Delaverie, Delaverie. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was a lesbian. So, remember how you said they had the three-piece law mm-hmm. for men? They mm-hmm. had a three-piece law for women. Well, mm-hmm. it wasn't exactly a three-piece law, but basically women could not be dressed in anything that be classified as men's clothing. Otherwise, they would have to go to jail. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, so, she was identified as like a butch lesbian. Um, and she was also known as the woman who, the, the woman who threw the first punch. Uh, at a police officer? Yes. Damn, okay. That's hardcore. And, like, she, uh, um, she was a performer. She, she did all kinds of shows. She was a singer, um, and a, and a bodyguard. That was, that stuck <laughs> out to me. <laughs> well, I mean, the first woman to punch, to punch a man, also a security guard, that at the the gay riots, that doesn't surprise me. Remember how we had the pink berets in New York mm-hmm. back in the mm-hmm. day? Mm-hmm. So she had like the lesbian version of it in the village. Well, that's awesome. So like she was that she was that that kind of lesbian who um who protected the community who loved the community. And I think, I honestly think that that's one, of, that's one reason a lot of people join together to fight and to riot because you have people who are in the community who just love the community so much and they just don't want to see any more of their people get killed. Well, I mean, also, it's a, it's about liberation. I mean, imagine, like, you can't be who you are. I was reading earlier, too, about 
um, that just seeing the riots and this guy was like a, 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 a literature major. So he was writing creatively all the time at, at Columbia. And after he went down to the riots, all of his subjects from then from that point on were all gay oriented. And he was saying that he didn't even think about it at the time, but to write anything about any of those topics was really taboo. Like you could get thrown in jail for writing stuff like that. I mean, it's illegal. The things I, I take for granted now, I mean, I live with my boyfriend. I tell everyone he's my boyfriend. I walk down the street holding hands with him. Um, oh, you gay. You gay. Huh? Yes, okay. Huh? gay. Okay. <laughs> I'm very I gay. I'm obnoxiously gay. No, but I do it for 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 more reasons. I mean, I I love I love it myself. I like to show off, but also it's important for straight people to see that so that it's unstigmatized. Yeah. You know, like the more that they see it, and I take the brunt of that. I mean, I get stares. Um, not so much in San Francisco, but you know, I took a trip down to Big Sur, which is down the coast, and when they see that, people still look, and you know, I love to see the kids look too. Because that will tell me how how much the parents expose the kids to same sex relationships, the kids that have never known anything gay, that the parents don't have any friends that are gay, they'll stare nonstop. Like it just confuses them to see two males holding hands. I remember. So this is the kind of uncle I am. This is the kind of uncle I am. My nephews have no questions about whether or not I am gay. <laughs> oh, you're no. gay. Or they all know that. I mean, I'm something. I if if it's not gay, it's something. It's something. It's queer. That's, a, that's alien enough. queer. Um, but they have no question. There's there, there's no concern at this point at all, because what happened was one time my nephew, he was about four or five years old. We were watching RuPaul. I was babysitting. Yes. And we were watching RuPaul, and he said. Is that a boy in a dress? And I said, yeah. He said, why is he in a dress? I said, because he likes wearing dresses and he looked good, right? He was like, yeah. He was like, and then I was like, so that's what they do. They're cool with it. Are you cool with it? I'm okay. And they just kept watching. Yeah, if you let kids make their own decisions on stuff like that, most of the time they're going to a place of love. So when the parents are like, that is wrong, blah, blah, blah. That's when you get these fucked up people in society. Oh, you know, yeah. Homophobes. I've been, I think it's so much better because kids need to realize, first of all, parents need to realize they don't know everything. Mm. Because when you realize you don't know everything, like my grandparents knew they did not know everything. Um, once I came out to them, they were like, look, we get that. We're cool with that, but we don't understand everything mm. happening here. And that's actually not a bad situation. Right. Um, and I mean, I'm not the first queer child that they had, but it was still like, this is a different generation because the generation they raised, people were still in the closet about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, so, I mean, our next generation is is so open. You yeah, that's they, now they're saying like twenty percent of of Zoomers identify as something other than straight, and yeah. our generation is like eleven percent. So like it's almost doubling, and it's not that people are just more gay now. It's just more people are more open about their sexuality. Yeah, I mean, I feel like there might be a little bit more gay 
people now. I feel like there's something in the water. There's some gayness in the water. Turning people gay? I mean, I mean. 2020 I mean, was a record year for celebrities coming out. Yes. Everybody just came out everywhere. 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 But if Rihanna plans on coming out, I need her to drop that album first. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Do not talk about the Rihanna album that's that's been coming out for the last decade. Like, I... I Listen, I have been with you, Riri, since I was, I want to say, 12, 13. Like, I've been with you. Ponder Replay. I remember hearing that shit when I would watch him bring it on. I remember, okay, the one with Hayden Pontier and Salon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's how that's how old I am. Well, this is what, it's, it's part of her, you know, her makeup line. She's like, are y'all ready for my next album? Yes. It's coming out first. You need to buy this next makeup line, and but you know what? The thing about her is like you can't stop loving her or hoping <laughs> that's gonna come out. I can't stop loving her because I think she is everything. It's like they're like she is one of the royal houses of American yeah. fame. Yeah, she's okay? a great businesswoman too. Right, she out here bagging any nigga she wants. Mm. Okay, she had a whole beautiful brown billionaire and said bye. <laughs> I said billion with a B. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, she, it, uh, she's not a billionaire, but she's, she's worth at least a couple hundred million, like maybe four or five. I don't know. Oh, my God. And then and then she had that she had that uh, Drake phase and we don't talk about it but like let's be real you had that nigga acting a whole fool in the public in the public yeah i don't don't really follow uh you know relationships and stuff but yeah i mean people coming out it's just like it's more com it's more people are more comfortable i mean look at little nas x right (laughs) he is the gay that i needed when I was a teenager, I didn't follow him before his whole come out. Like, I the first thing I was exposed was the the video where he's sliding down the stripper pole to hell, giving the devil a lap dance, and that's hella gay. So I'm not sure what he was like before. Did you follow him before? Okay, so Lil Nas X reminds me of me because I had that whole country phase, mm-hmm. listening to Billy, listening to Billy Ray Cyrus. Yeah, um, and Tim McGraw, because, you know, Tim McGraw is that dude. But um, it was hella, it was like country, but hip-hop. It, got, it was one of those crossover things. And then he came out, and you were like, a word? And he was like, yeah. They was like, nah, you trolling us. He was like, I'm a Nikki stan. I'm that gay. And then, yeah. <laughs> and then I was like, bitch! Let me listen to the tea. And then I would like protect him at all costs. Yeah, that's crazy. I've never seen anything like that, but. I like all of, especially like the black aunties, the ones who love the baby gays, they're like, we're all protecting Lil Nas X at all costs from all the white nonsense, from all the homophobic nonsense. Okay, from all the the evangelist nonsense 
they are like that powerful. Yeah, I know. I've I've lo- I've loved watching it. Like you know, he has a lot of uh, control over the creativity. Um, oh, but uh, what I was gonna say about like you know people coming out and people using you know, feeling more comfortable with themselves, with their sexuality, but also in the way that they want to express themselves, like the girl that did her speech about the abortion. Um, you know, what's her name? The, the girl that was in the French Open, Osaka, I think her name was, where um, she dropped out because she had some mental health. She felt overwhelmed. She lost, uh, she had to withdraw from the, from the French Open. Yeah, from the French Open. And the community stood behind her. Yeah, her sponsors stood behind her, where this would never happen before. You right. know, and now she's especially for like a woman of color. Yeah, yeah, it's really incredible. It's, it's crazy. It's like it's, it's it's akin to watching Tiger Woods. I know I shouldn't say it, but Tiger Woods back in the day. Uh huh. Because he went through hell to become who he is. Yeah. He became a household name. Yeah. A black man becoming a household name in the 90s. Well, he was also kind of crazy, like, with his wife and stuff. I mean, but he didn't become crazy until after that. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's he true. didn't but become he... crazy until after the inspiration. But he won the biggest, most publicized golf championship in the world so like obviously thrown but you're right yeah like the other guy that won after he he won he just flew back to japan no one's heard anything about him but tiger woods continues to be in the the spotlight but but what it did was it it broke that mold from a a white male always taking that spot and diversifying it to to the hapa black right and Uh. it's crazy because like i look at simone biles and i see the amount of magic that she has. Because for some reason, a lot of times when people think gymnast, when they think like gymnastics, they don't associate black girls with it. Dominique Dawes, uh, she was back in the 90s? No. Who? Dominique Dawes. She was like a, a, a U.S. Olymp- Olympic gymnast. Look at that. Come through, sis. I didn't know your name, no. I'm sorry. Well, because um, I, I had an ex that was a gymnast. Oh, but like it made me like think of how powerful it is seeing like how powerful it is for the like, you know, little black girls seeing representation of themselves and like on TV, in magazines, on a box of Cheerios, you know? Yeah, so um, let me, I know this is off topic, but do you think that, I mean, since the year of George Floyd and like, you know, there's, I think there's been a great shift towards more in, in racial inclusion across the board, but is, you being part of the community, do you think that's true? Yeah. I think, I think it's, I mean, I think it could be better. Like I'm tired of seeing characters that were once black in a certain comic being white in a because we don't get as much but then they try to make them or like they'll try to make another black or white character black or reboot a movie with a black lead instead of just creating black stories just listening to the black content creators and making that you know 
because at the end of the day, it's just like, you know, the, you know how when you're a teenager, 13, 14 years old, and you saw those queer people on TV, and you're like, oh, I finally see another queer person on TV. Yeah. yeah. And it was original writing. That's the same thing that people of color want. But we don't want to be just secondary characters. You, we don't want to be the best friend whose mom or dad got shot. Okay, maybe that was a little bit personal. But... <laughs> but you're absolutely right. No, you're absolutely right. I, I agree with you. Because if you're looking at the... I mean, it should come... First of all, we need to, to give the POC community more exposure because it's lacked for so long because part of that is going to be, you know, giving, giving more education, you know, releasing that, that, that uncomfortability with like, there shouldn't be like, this character has to be this certain thing. It should be like, what does the story want to tell and how is it going to impact someone as a human? But if you're looking at the population, like, actually, I don't know what the statistic is. I think it's like, I I don't know, 60% white America. I'd have to look it up, but eventually what it should be a market share that, that is diversified. But right now we need to focus on integrating communities of color more into the American narrative across the board, you know, and I'm seeing that a little bit more like with the Tulsa, with the Tulsa massacre, you know, Biden went to Tulsa for the very first time ever. I was like, that's insane. Like that black wall street. And people, you know what's crazy when we talk about, when we talk about Black Wall Street, right? When we talk about Black Wall Street and like no shade, but a little bit of shade, right? To America, to America. Hella shade, hella shade. Um, people, when I, when I meet a white person and I tell them about it, they're like, that, no, nah, that's not real. Or they're like shocked that it is real. Either way, they're shocked because it's real. Oh, I I wasn't shocked whatsoever. I like I like explaining to them that not only is that something that happened, but then that there are other events like that that happened in Brooklyn, in Pennsylvania, in California, in North Carolina, Chicago. And Chicago had it bad. Mm. Like, it's so wild, the fact that the, the worst thing and the best thing at the same time that's happening is that all of these, all of these minorities, all of these marginalized groups are all wanting equality at the same time, right? That's all we want. We all want equality at the same time. Right? I mean, I, I, actually, I don't believe that the people that are in power right now, you know, cis white Americans want equality. They want to keep that place of power. Minorities, yes. We just want equality, right? At at marginalized groups, we want equality. And the problem is we don't get representation enough in our own democratic system. Because if we all got representation, we would be better. And I mean, let's be real, redlining, gerrymandering, all of that plays into queer rights. It, it, it plays into black rights. 
Asian whites, Latinx whites. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It all of that plays into sovereign nations for the indigenous people and whether or not they're going to recognize Puerto Rico as a part of America. I hate, I hate that. <sighs> Cuba too. The whole idea that we could take back Cuba at any time just like irks me. Like, first of all, it's not even yours. Yeah. The Rough Riders took it. Oh my. It's, it's just like, how do we as how how do we as a country just get people to understand if you all just said yes to people who just need and want basic care and to be able to rise to the same level that y'all are apparently rising to, we would all be happy. You know, I remember remember when you were in school. And you were in like uh, economic class. Did you have Did you have economics in high school? Yeah, yeah. And they, do you remember? And maybe they teach it different now, and I feel like they do. But we were used to be taught that there were, you know, certain classes in the American system: upper, middle, and lower. Mm-hmm. But they try to make it. They give them cute names for different levels. You know, blue collar, white collar, pink collar, which kids are latkey kids. Like they just to give you an idea of where these people are. As an examples of of the system. Exactly. That are directly related to socioeconomic and racial classes. Right. I do see a lot of queer people, the ones that didn't get that acceptance and love and respect from their family that they deserve, they often have to be in the lower class because their families rejected something about them that they couldn't change. You know, I mean, thankfully, a lot of us, like, yeah, a lot of us are lucky enough to have families that, you know, loved us and, you know, took care of us and provided for us and gave us a fresh head start into the real world, whether or not we wanted it, whether or not any of us asked to be able to have to pay bills in this world. But it's so hard to like, when you see these kids out here, like, you know, on their own, having to figure out how to take care of themselves because their, you know, their families kicks them out and all of that stuff. And you look at this and, it's a tale that keeps telling itself all the way back to the start of Pride. No, know? we're talking we're talking like people that are kicked out of their house that are marginalized already, but that are also gay that are kicked out, or maybe they're you're they're transitioning and they're kicked out. Right. And like they like the that's how like let's be real, that's a big deal. That's a big major way of how Pride started. Because a lot of the people that were congregating, 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 I know words. I know words. Do you? I'm high. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I I mean, the people, like we mentioned, the people that that actually had the bravery to to stand up to the police raids were trans, homeless, sex workers, you know. They 
it was the people that were protected by society that could lose everything. So, I mean, I know you didn't want to mention the doodler, the the real killer from the Castro that I discovered about. Can I mention oh, it real quick? Gosh. Yeah, we can do that. Okay. We can do it. So what was interesting was... Oh, so, Let's rewind back. To, Castro is the gay district in San Francisco um, in the summer of I mean, 1970. Is it the only gay district? San Francisco yes, is it's fucking gay. Yeah, it is. But like, it's not like New York or Manhattan where, you know, Jackson Heights is like gay Latino. And then, you know, you have um, you have Greenwich Village. And then you also have Hell's Kitchen. It's not like that in San Francisco. Castro is main is the main hot spot. And then throughout the city, there's a few gay bars here and there. And the city as itself is gay. But really, Castro was like at the epicenter. And back when it was starting up um, in, in the summer of 74, 73, there was uh, it became like a gay hotspot. So there was a serial killer going around killing gay men, only gay men. Um, and police, they found a suspect. Right. So he killed like between five and 16. They don't know exactly how many. And they had a suspect. Three- OK, I want to I'm going 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 to say this. What? I'm going to say this. Between 5 and 16 <laughs> is a hell of a gap when it well, comes to the amount of dead bodies we counting. Like, yeah. if I got to count dead bodies. Now, look, listen. Look, listen. The numbers 5 and 16 are not that far from each other in the grand scheme of things. The grand scheme of the world. When you're thinking of actual dead bodies, it's like... But, yeah, yeah. When I'm thinking of... I like, get that. When you go into a funeral home, if you see more than five dead bodies in that funeral home, all from the same guy, you're going to say, hey, is this guy providing you business or is he providing you business? Well, you I know, think it's five because and 16 is a hell of a number. Well, there were a lot of people being killed during that. summer. it was called the Red Summer because there were so many homicides and because there was another killer also killing during that time called it, the original um, Night Stalker. Um, which would Ramir- be good. Well, no, that that's the Night Stalker. But this other guy who's the Golden State Killer, he was the original Night Stalker. He got oh, the name originally. Yeah. But the Night Stalker is Ramirez uh, because that's the name that stuck with him. But the Golden State Killer is the original uh, Night Stalker. But so he was killing so many people. They don't know, like, what, who from who. What is it about the West Coast with the killer? Y'all I don't know. I mean, you have the Zodiac. Remember the Zodiac Killer? Like, that, yes. that's so interesting. I can't wait for that that subject. But um, this guy, um, he they found the suspect. Like, police were almost sure that it was him. Because remember, they didn't have DNA technology back then. But they think they had the guy. And there were three people that escaped that could identify him. But those three people refused to take the stand because they were middle they were middle class white men that if they outed him and said, yes, that's him, they would be outed themselves because they'd be like, oh, you were gay. You're you know, they lose like, their job. Imagine how many fucking people, how many fucking like wives whose husbands never came home. Yeah, no, actually, one of them um, was a man with two kids and a wife, but they found that uh, they found a makeup tube. They called it a makeup tube, but he basically was wearing makeup on the side. So, yeah, no, it absolutely happened. You know, here's my thing. I think about this and everything. I don't want that to ever happen to me, any of it, any of it, any portion being related to it. But I would love to be inside the mind of the families of the victim. They have to be going through a lot. She knew. She just didn't want the secret out. I don't, I think it's not, I don't think like 
the people at the core of a situation like that, they already knew it was just about like, how do we pivot from this? So, you know, I, I I'm not in shambles because if they say I knew the whole time she could lose her job because she's she's knowingly married to a gay guy. That's and that's illegal. You know, she probably they probably lost their jobs anyway. It's such a crazy time. I couldn't even imagine living during that time. I mean, first of all, being get me married to a gay man, it happens not, all the time. Not the worst Didn't thing ever either. Minnelli do it a couple of times. I think she is a gay man. Yeah, no, she I think definitely. My grandmother might have did it once or twice. Yeah, it's it's very common. I mean, that that was your only choices back then. And I mean, not my not my grandfather is definitely a straight man, but maybe <laughs> it's one of maybe one of my grandmother's other husbands. My mom, my mom's father married a lesbian. My mom's mother is a whole lesbian. She's not a half lesbian. She's a full lesbian. A whole ass lesbian. Oh my God, and, speaking. And she was just out there. Hanging out in the village. It was the sixties. Let it all hang out. Was she was she in the first dyke march? Oh yeah. Yeah. And you know, she was one of the women who was proud of being called a butch. Mm. She identified as a soft butch. A soft a soft butch soft butch lesbian. What is that defined as? That is like best wearing that is a light makeup that is i know how to use tools but i'm gonna i but i prefer you know typing (laughs) that is almost like a hillary almost like a hillary clinton look almost like very dominant kind of better but yeah but not a lizard alien yeah well, the first the first dyke march what didn't even happen until I don't know. Let's see, um, the the nineties I think like in yeah. the early nineties was the first dyke march. One of my yeah. favorite things at Gay Pride in San Francisco is the is uh, dykes on bikes, where all the dykes meet at this amazing park, uh, Dolores Park that overlooks all downtown, and they all march or ride motorcycles downtown, and it's it's so amazing to see. Brings a tear to your but eye. And it's, and it's so nice that, and I think that's one thing that I love about the older generation of like, you know, queer, our, our queer parents and grandparents, as I like to call them, because they were very strong and into the community. Yeah. They were like, look, we're going to get through this and we're going to take care of you. And you're going to pass it on to the next person and be and take care of them. You know? That values. Yeah, it's all about just paying it forward in the older generation. That's all it really is, paying it forward. And it's going to get worse. Like, I feel like our next generation, I mean, we know that. We know of it, but not all of us are practicing, obviously. But the, the next generation Zoomers, they're not going to have any idea how to interact with people and, you know, in person how to form relationships like outside of the digital world. Like it, it seriously scares me. It's funny when I look back at, especially like when I was being like, you know, a little tiny, when I first came out and all that good stuff. And I was like, you know, 13, 14 years old. I remember I had a friend and I came out to um, both him and his brother. They were like two of my first 
friends that I came out to. And they were like, okay, what, whatever. And then we would still be riding our bikes and skateboards, riding around, hanging out in the neighborhood. And like, while I'm glad that like the kids are awesome about like, oh, gay shit, cool. I'm with the shit that do this shit. But they're not like, oh, riding the skateboard and bicycle down to the creek or to the fucking, you know, ice cream shop. Well, I think like a lot of that has to play, especially like back when people weren't out as much, even in high school. I mean, to come out at, you know, at 14 back in, you know, the early 2000s, even, I mean, you weren't going to get like beat up and bullied. Maybe people were, didn't, didn't really happen. It wasn't like back in the seventies where people were literally like harass you all the time. And dying. Yeah. And killed. I mean, there are some people who have, there are some people you heard about that one guy who killed his, um, who killed his son because he thought he was gay. Oh, in Russia. Was it in Russia? No, in the United States. Oh God. There was another woman there was a um, there was a woman who killed her son and herself because she thought her son was gay. And how do they know, or how can you not know one or the other? Because she, could that was her like her final message to her daughter or something, who was alive. Jeez, well I know my dad doesn't like that I'm gay, but he's. You know what he said to me the other day, actually. So when I when I came back from Paris, so I, I did a study abroad in Paris, and when I came back, it was Fourth of July, and we were cooking outside, and my dad said, "Did you meet any girls out there?" And I go, "Dad, I'm gay." And he goes, "No girls with the hairy armpits and the short hair." And I'm like, well, uh, "You mean like kind of like a butch girl?" He's like, "Yeah, you didn't find any out in Paris. I know that they're pretty." Fair. And I was like, "Shut up." That was like five, six years ago. That was a lot of that was a lot happening in there. Yeah, that was five, six years. This other conversation happened last weekend. He, um, I finally told my dad I, I did I do drag. So I've been doing drag for years. He didn't even he had no idea. And I decided to tell him. And he's like, he's like, wait, so you want to be a woman? And I was like, no, I just dress up like a woman for entertainment. And and he's like, oh, and you you get paid or what do you what do you get? This? And I was like, yeah, they pay me. But mostly I just get like free drinks and access to places and blah, blah. And um, he's like, you know, when you came out to to you, when you told me you were gay, um, I didn't like it. But at <laughs> least but at least you're not the woman. And I go, what does that mean? Don't what does I, that I, mean. I, well, I was like, I, I don't want to go into details, but I'm a versi. <laughs> but somehow, what? like he, he felt more comfortable that I wasn't super feminine. Oh, my you God. Know, you know, oh. My grandfather, now look, I'm gonna say this. My grandfather who raised me, my my no no, um he was a man who was getting better. Okay? Every day. Every day he got better, you know, because he grew up very machismo, um, Brooklyn Italian Catholic schoolboy. You know what I mean? And then but he was also the bully on the playground and he admitted it. And then he was a boxer in the Marines and, you know, he had very man like, you know, masculine shit. He had his own plumbing company, man shit. Mm-hmm. Nothing says man, like cleaning a shitter. Right. But me, like, let's be real. I came out the womb yet. 
Joker. They knew when I was a baby. Like I remember when I was a little kid, I used to like sneak into my grandmother's closet and be like, "Grandma, I want to try on this skirt." And then run off and put it on. It would be too big for me. And I'm like, Grandma, it's too big for me. And she's like, yeah, you have no hips. Oh, she didn't ask you to take it off? She was just like, you have no hips and just let it be. She, oh. was, very <laughs> she, was, very, she was very weird in her, in her acceptance. But like my grandfather, he never said, I mean, he was like, you know, it'll, uh, I remember when um, he used to give me a, like, um, whenever he would drink on a special occasion, which is a weekend. He would <laughs> drink, <laughs> he would drink Shiva's Regal. Mm-hmm. What's that? And, um, Shiva's Regal is scotch, I think. Okay. It's brown, it's strong. Like straight, just just straight? Yeah, um, I mean, with, on the rocks, maybe. Okay. Maybe. And it had to be crushed. Um, he... And I would like take a sip. He would let me take a, like a few sips. And he'd be like, take a few sips to put some hair in your chest. Make a man out of you. It never put hair on my chest. I tried. I tried to <clears> drink <throat> from that bottle once. <laughs> but he, but that was it. Like with me, he was so soft and loving. And then like when I came out to him, he was like, so uh, you're like worried now. Yeah. How long you know? A while. No closing the door when you have a boy in your room. What about a girl? <laughs> and then all he said, he was like, he was like, you can, I prefer you, you can close the door with the girl back there. I know you're not going to do anything, but if you do, at least you have the door closed. See, now we're giving all the American team boys something to do. They're like, they're going to tell their parents. Actually, that did happen in high school. I remember I had a friend, um, a guy really fucking cute and he had a girlfriend, a Russian girlfriend and the, the Russian girl's dad was in the mafia. And so when we went to their little mansion near like in this neighborhood in San Francisco, me and him would have to like hold hands and pretend we're gay so that they can go upstairs and have sex like in, in the tower, this tower room or whatever. But so the mom would come in and then like he would have to kiss me and all this other stuff. So like that shit actually works where they're like, oh, they're gay. The they're fine. We don't have to watch I, them. I, you know, I never, I mean, I'll be real. We've all looked, with, with all the, if all the queers took stock of how many, of how much pussy <laughs> and titties and, and dicks and balls we have seen and butts in general, because you know I like me some booty. In general, in our lives, like, oh my God. But it depends on the person, though. Like, cause let's be real. Your straight guy friends whose balls you saw in high school, they only did it as a joke. Right. You saw it too many times. <laughs> and I remember every single one. Every single, I could tell you the exact one. Okay, behind the box. Soccer practice when we were stretching. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> we used to just jump in the pool. Like we used to just skinny dip in the pool in the middle of the summer. All oh, of that us. sounds so nice. We were just so terrible. We were just terrible, terrible. That's when I identified as a boy. That was just a weird time. 
but going back to like how how people accept you right so your friends accepted you but that's because you were already kind of already yourself it's when i think people they they the the more you hide it the dif- more difficult it is to integrate into the friends or the groups that you were already yeah, existing in, you know like you but then again like maybe that's who you are like maybe you love playing football you love being masculine but um i mean there's there were some famous basketball players that came out recently also so i mean it is possible it's just like then you're gonna have to deal with all the stigma you know being yeah. in the locker room dealing with that shit like that that's really difficult but if you really have yeah, a passion, no i get that like i remember when i was in you know when you have to change out in the locker room in high school i hated that shit because like yeah i would get bullied in the locker room and that, that would make the only time i would get bullied because you were gay yeah what would they say they would call me fucking pussy they were like don't look at my dick a lot of dudes called me a faggot really these were public school kids. They were terrible. You know, my, um, nick- my nickname was Nick Kicker the Dick Licker. <laughs> That's pretty creative, I thought. My nickname was Ramen Noodles. So. Ramen Noodles? That's not even. Oh, because your first name. Okay, exactly. Or your last so, name. So I was going through this thing. So, first of all, you remember MySpace. We're old enough to remember MySpace. Oh, yeah. We're dating ourselves. We're old enough to remember my face. Mm-hmm. We, um, and it was like the height of the scene kid phase. And all the scene kids were like putting weird names on my face. And I used to be like, well, I used to eat a lot of ramen noodles. Like I used to eat ramen noodles out the ass. And then I also was trying to tell people my name is Ramel, not Ramel. And I hate when people say Ramel. So I would always just be like, it's Ramel. Like you say ramen noodles, Ramel. And then so I put my nickname with ramen noodles with a Z. Mm. And then so all the homies called me ramen noodles or noodle. Oh, I'm not talking about the homies called me Nick Kicker. I'm talking about the bullies. No one ever called me a faggot, but they did use that other thing. I don't think I've, I've only been called a faggot one time and I broke my, my pinky bone because I fought the dude. But I mean, in San Francisco, people don't really use that word that much. I, yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I got, I remember when I was on the bus one time, on the school bus one, and this dude like called me a faggot and I punched him. And that was the first time I got in a fight. Was this on like the yellow school bus on the way to school? Yes. Yes, I love that. And like we were fighting. And I gave him a black eye. And, like, I got suspended for, like, one day. He got suspended for multiple. Why did you get... Why? Because you fought him? Because he was... Because I hit back. Because I, because I hit You him. threw the first punch. You threw the first punch. You I threw the first punch, Okay. But for good reason. But he got... But it was because I was school was trying to be better at the time. So because he used the word faggot, he got suspended for multiple days. I love how you're like, the school was trying to be better at that moment in time. <laughs> they were at that time. I I don't know what I mm, mm. it's like it's like people saying, like, oh, what do you believe? I believe in being a good person. Oh, really? But I'm not practicing right now. Like, you exactly. know, like picking and choosing. Picking and choosing your battles and your stupidity. Okay, because they knew who I was. I was a quiet. That was a lot. 
How big was your high school? Um, my high school was, hold on, because there were four small schools, and each school had roughly four to 500, so we're looking roughly at 16, so we're between 1,600 and 2,000. Okay, yeah, same with mine. Um, I mean, I think for me, I didn't get harassed really because the school is really big, number one, just like yours. So pe- bullies don't have the ability to target one person because there's just so many people. Secondly, I think I'm in the Bay Area, so more people are more like, you know, open-minded. And then my school was actually, have you seen Dangerous Minds with Michelle Pfeiffer? No. Okay. Well, basically my school was like at the height of gun violence for one of the cities I was living next to. So there were so many gangs and like teachers were bringing guns to school and they were like metal detectors and everything. So I think people just didn't have the time to, to harass me for being gay. Cause they're like, yeah, when you bring in guns to school, you don't have time to, to teachers, people. teachers bring guns to school. Oh my God. No, like our school, so our thing was, it was a big school, but like there were four small schools within it. So they all had like, you know, a targeted major. One was for health science, one was um, engineering, one was arts, and another one was technology. Which one were you? I was in technology and I was in arts. So because I had overlapping classes and whatever and sizing of classes and everything and we had this one hippie art um english teacher and then we had this one graphic design teacher who liked to cuss a lot and he would drink a lot in class but then he got suspended because he said the word nigga and <laughs> and i was like oh that white man said that i know what well, i'm not hanging out for lunch no more so we used to hang out in his classroom for lunch uh yeah no I, I was just reading an article about teachers being fired like like one student got or one teacher got fired because she was tired of her students doing classwork from other classes and she was in like a like a science class so she took the homework that they're working on and burned it on a bunsen burner <laughs> and she like got fired for that but Another like one- first of all these teachers give out way too much fucking homework that is that, that wasn't her problem though, because the students were doing homework from another teacher in her class. Yeah, so that wasn't even her fault. So I think she should have got away with it. No, like, like you went over, you went overboard. She first of all, you didn't have to take it and burn it. You could have taken it from her and held it from her until the end of class. No, I mean, and then the- if it happened again, then if it happened again, then you would take it from her. Then tell then tell her she won't get her homework back or her, she will have to go to that next class without it because she's doing it again in here. Yeah, any right? teacher that does that, I think is just like, I'm checked out, I'm ready to and go. And then a lot of these teachers are having their students take home books and bring them in every day. You know, kids are taking in like seven books a day? That's crazy, that's crazy. You know, so like, I don't blame these kids. Trying to reduce the amount of books you gotta take, to class, take home. And bring back the next day. And then get in trouble if you don't bring it in the next day. Well, actually, one of the teachers threw a book at the student. <laughs> okay, now, see, that teacher should have been. And a calculator. Like, I care, I guess the, the student was so dumb. She was like, use a calculator. Threw it at the student's Sounds head. like my grandmother. My grandmother, my grandmother threw a clock at me. <laughs> can, can you tell time? Can you tell time? My, actually, all of us, 
um, like one day we all sat down. This was like this was our version of the repast at my grandmother's. Like after my grandmother died, all of us sat down. My mom, my mom's mother, my aunts, one of my cousins, all of us, and my brother. We were all sitting there, and we were talking about um, the ways my grandmother used to just what she would throw at us. The fight, the flying chakra happened. Oh, really? They were chunklas there. Yes. Well, it's hot. She, yeah, I guess so. Well, I mean, yeah, she 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 would wear she she never walked around the house barefoot. You know, um, she thrown. One time, she beat me with a laundry stick. What's a laundry stick? So this is this old old thing. You put your you put your. She did it in the modern world. You would put your clothes in the wash bin, then put in all of your, your water, detergent, and bleach. And you use the stick to beat out the stains and the dirt. Right? She took that and got the stick and would when she would put bleach in her whites and in her sheets, she would use the stick in the washing machine, take it out of the washing machine, put it on the side, and then let the machine go. And she would also use it to beat us. <laughs> She's a ut- utilitarian, using what's okay. around her. But she was also my, um, but she was also like my biggest cheerleader when I came out. She was like, oh, you, you, you are the gay? We're all the gay. We got all the rainbow up in the house. Well, yeah, she can't beat you and then not support you being gay. That's just wrong. I mean, she would beat me after I came out, so. What do you mean you like men? Take that. Where's my laundry stick? Where's my laundry stick? Where's my clock? One time, she threw a paperweight at me. Oh, no, those are dangerous. (laughs) She had this glass paperweight, and she threw it at me. And the glass paperweight didn't break. Did it hit you? It hit me. Maybe I softened the blow. With that hard head uh, of yours. I see you. I see you got your man to get you. A I little, know. Little I know. White claw I want to keep here. it going. Want to keep it? Keep it going. Keep it going. No. So, uh, the, so the other thing that I did want to talk to you about is mm-hmm. like uh, some of our queer icons. Because you grew up in San Francisco. Yes. So so Harvey Milk was a major icon for you, right? Yeah. So um, I mean, there's like the, there's Harvey there's Harvey Milk Plaza. So his name is like everywhere in San Francisco, but he really came to power after Stonewall, but he was the first publicly like publicly gay um politician in the history of the United States. So he was running for a city council position and he was murdered by this guy, Dan White. Um, and he used the, the Twinkie defense um, as a way to, to get off from, like basically he was saying he had a surge of sugar from eating too many Twinkies that made him kill Harvey Milk. When really the reality is he's just a homophobic fuck. Um, I'm, and- sorry, I'm 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 sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Now I'm. I'm gonna say this because we have 
we have all this is the podcast all about recovery and being better people. Um, and I have done I've done my share of drugs. I've done my share of adrenaline drugs. And that's a rage and rise of sugar rush as well, right? Did, did, when you were on drugs, did you ever feel like you wanted to kill somebody? No. I mean, okay. he, he was so bitter. He was, he was, he killed, he killed two people actually. He killed Harvey Milk and he killed uh, Moscone. I think it was the mayor at the time. You, you haven't, did he use that defense for both people? Yeah, so he that he was charged for double homicide for both. So basically, what happened was he won. Harvey Milk won because um, he was he was. I wish I could have met him. Like, did you see Milk the movie? Yes, it was so, so awful. Yeah, so that personality, like everything I read about Harvey Milk, he was just that. Like he was this really caring, energetic person. Straight people loved him. Gay people loved him. He really loved getting the community like oriented with each other. We had a camera shop on the corner of Castro and 18th at the heart of Castro. Um, and what Dan White did, which, which is so crazy, is he crawled through a window at City Hall and he was able to get in there and shoot both of them. Um, and then later, he, he actually killed himself. And, and I've gone by the house where he killed himself. I don't know. I've just been very fascinated with the whole thing, not only because it's local history, but because Harvey Milk was like, he was unafraid. So during gay pride in San Francisco, you know, people for, for America and especially a major city like San Francisco to elect a gay official, it was huge. And yeah. you know, a lot of people that were very close to him said, you know, you should not be the grand marshal of gay pride during this particular year because someone could kill you, you know, but he was like, you know what, I have to be strong. He knew that he was putting his life on the line to fight for a cause he really believed in. Um, and I think a lot of it had to do with his character and the way that people felt about him and his intention within the community. But also he did become a martyr by, by yeah. being murdered like that. That is, that's an assassination akin to, akin to Kennedy. Yeah, you know? we still don't know. We still don't know who killed him, you know, in Grassy Knoll somewhere. We're, we're sure. not going to, this is not a conspiracy theory podcast. Okay, it was Lee Harvey Oswald, and if the FBI asked, that's my answer. Or if the Greys ask, okay, or the Reptilians ask, that's my same answer. They're up there too. I've been watching People of Earth. It's one of those. You've seen that show on TBS about the aliens. No. I watch a lot of TBS shit. Oh, you one of them? I'm one of those people. Okay, I don't know what's going on. But I watch a lot of TBS and TNT shows. The Leverage was my shit back in the day. I'm one of them bitches. But no, it's it's wild because like one of my one thing that happened for me was remember the movie Rent? Uh huh. If you just heard a big bang, I I don't know if it was a gunshot or fireworks. If you hear it again, it's fireworks. But I live in the Bronx, so happy summer. Remember it's last worse. summer? Remember last summer in New York with those friggin' fireworks all day, all night? All day, all night. Nobody had nothing to do. People were just hopping in a car, uh, driving, driving out of the city, buying fireworks. Some people went to Pennsylvania to buy their fireworks, came back, 
and just started doing wild shit. And I would be walking past, like I would be like chilling, listening to a podcast, you know me, listening to the read, walking down the street. And the next thing I know, I hear, boom. And I'm over here like, it is daytime. Children are napping. (laughs) Finn is napping. Finn should be napping. Okay. This is prime, you know, it, it, it was during the height of everybody like just having gotten used to the idea of Disney Plus being a thing and still grappling with whether or not they were going to pay to watch Mulan. <laughs> yeah, no, I remember because uh, I, I, you know, I was living in East Village and I'm right on Avenue D and there would just be like dozens of cars with their trunks full of fireworks selling them at like crazy low rates you know, they, and I would hear them all night, all day, like nonstop helicopters all around. And that's what, and that's one of the things I love about the Lower East Side. Yeah. I like love when you go to there. Alphabet City, when you go to Alphabet City, what are you going to hear? Loud noise. What are you going to smell? Good food. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? That now, is- it, now they're closed down the streets. They're having festivals every weekend. They have like outdoor markets, like three flip flea markets down at Tompkins Square Park. Like I really miss it. Like it and, I sh- and you know, you know, like when you're downtown, um, you know, because of COVID, a lot of places had outside outside seating only and they made those little like weird, mm-hmm. you know, uh, cabanas. Yeah. Outside, like along the street. Mm-hmm. Now that they blocked off certain, like they just blocked off certain streets to just turn it into a full street into a restaurant now. Yeah, but even last year when they did that, it, there still wasn't enough people out because there was still a portion of the population that was not vaccinated. They're scared. Now that everyone's vaccinated, oh, I miss it. Part of me is like, I should not have moved to San Francisco, but my family's here. I mean, you know, I have to reconnect with them for a bit, but well, um, New York is a, ahead of the trend for sure. At the end of the I said to myself, I see people leaving New York. I do. But I live in a rent-controlled building. The fuck I look like giving it up. The fuck I look like risking subletting a bit. Yeah, no, you have a good place. You have a good like, place. no, let me let me stay in this city and embrace it. But anyway, what I was saying, what I was gonna say. I'm high. I'm high and I have ADD. <laughs> I'm high and I have ADD. This is where I'm at. And you're drinking White Claw, which is just still concerning. Mm. But um, the biggest, you know, the, one of the biggest things that made me start to feel safe in my pride was when I was like 13, when I first watched Rent for the first time. Like, seeing... Angel made me so happy. I knew you were going to relate to Angel. Angel is... I mean, she did it all for us and today for you. She did it all for us. You know? And then Mark being the perfect ally. He had a whole bisexual ex-girlfriend and he would friends with her and her woman. Yeah, it was pretty progressive for the time. It was, I think it was written in early 90s. 91. 91, yeah. 
And um, I mean, it, it's such a quintessential New York story, you know, like it, it, that's why I think it's so beautiful that it's not it's not a New Yorker story. You know, it's not someone from New York. It's a New York story. Like this is how legends are made from, you know, people outside of New York. Yeah. I mean, it was such a it was such a strong and powerful story. And then. I realized like all of the queerness that was around me and how beautiful it was and how, you know, and how I needed to embrace what I had and what I, you know, and who and what I am. And it also helped fuel my art. Because you realize there's other people just like you, you know, I I don't think that New Yorkers fully appreciate like, how big and cultured New York is even in a city like San Francisco that's known as like the most European city in the United States it's still not as cultured interesting or you know it makes people here look dumb like they don't know anything you know what's funny is when I was in North Carolina even as a kid right my my grandparents were always very progressive because they're city people. Like, they're New Yorkers. Um, and then me being around in the South and me being around them, and then a lot of the people in our lives had to be progressive. They had to be progressive. I mean, my grandmother, I'll never forget, my grandmother had this friend that she had for years. And I mean, four years. And her friend, I came out, right? And her friend was like, oh, well, I don't like that. I'm, you know, I'm a proud phobic. And she called herself phobic. She said, I'm phobic. Wow. She was proud of it. And my grandmother said, well, you don't need a grace. You don't need to darken my doorstep again. In the South. Mm. She was like, I don't know who you thought you were, but my kid, this is their house, not yours. Even even though your grandma didn't fully understand or even fully accept your decision, she still loved you enough to keep right. like haters away. Right. Like that woman, I love her dearly. I do. I, you know, great woman. Great woman. May she rest in peace until I get there. But there was a lot of things that I don't think she understood because of the because of the time she was raised in. Yeah, some people, I mean, I didn't, I didn't tell any of my grandparents. They just, they just don't have a capacity to understand. You know, everything they were taught for the majority of their life is either it's against the Bible or it doesn't make biological sense because you can't make a child with two of the same sex. So I think there's a, there's a lot going against them. You don't them. have to make children? No, you know what? At this point, look, I'm looking at the earth now and I'm looking at the adults that I know no, a lot of us don't need children. A well, lot of the... Uh, mm. Yeah, no, well, and it's declining. I mean, we're at an all-time low as far as having kids, like the lowest in like 50 years or something. But yeah, we're, we're definitely That's overpopulated. That's great. You want to know why? Overpopulation. Yeah, yeah. No, you know, corona, coronavirus was sent by an alien race, uh, you know, so that, so that we could reevaluate where we're going and kind of do some population control. And gays, actually, they think being gay is actually an evolutionary trait 
because uh, the gay person, um, you know, we tend to be more emotional, we tend to be more caring and nurturing, but also we don't have kids. So they actually support the community to raise other children. So it's a, almost a, a population control done by nature as well. Okay, so, so gay people um, should be celebrated. This is, this is a, I mean, this, uh, oddly enough, this is a, a conspiracy podcast because I'll be believing in some conspiracy. You know what? At the end of the day, I really, I'm really starting to think that the American Northwest has something in their water that makes people extremely depressed. The Pacific Northwest, like in Washington and Oregon? Yes. yes. I know y'all got rain, but it's more than just that rain. And cloudy, it's, too, though. It's cloudy. And I get that, but like New York gets cloudy. Look how, look how depressed not, we not, are. Look how yeah. cloudy we are, you know, five, six months out of the year. But there's something about the Pacific Northwest, the American Northwest, that it's just very like gloomy, very more. It's more than just the cloud because between grunge. Well, they have the, the highest suicidal rate. The the highest suicide yeah. rate. They gave us Frazier. Those bastards. Those bastards. And then they also give us too many serial killers. But on the other hand, they do have the most literate group of Americans in the country as well. Because so. they have nothing else to do but because they have Yeah, I know. I because know. it's cold and rainy. I love Seattle. I've, I've visited there all my life, but uh, yeah, the people aren't that warm. It's hard to make connections with people. They can't be bothered with interaction. I Like, I'm a New Yorker. Like, I can't be bothered with half of anything. So you think you're going to stay there until you die in New York? Oh, no. I'm, 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 I'm hoping that by 50, I will have worked a strong enough career that I can move someplace else and either start a business or work for a great firm. 50? And then, and then retire or, you know, whatever, do a new, uh, fancy a new job, whatever, in a different city, different state. It could be North Carolina. It could be, um, it could be like San Diego. Um, I would like to be near a beach, but I don't want to be anywhere near Florida. Have you come out to San Francisco before? Yeah, once. Yes. Said that. Okay. Have you been to Oakland? Yes. yes. Uh, Oakland is so amazing. I was really considering living there. I, but I want warmth. <laughs> once oh, yeah. I move, once I move from New York, I don't want more than two seasons: spring and summer. You know, I've Summer. had, and you know, New York gives us, New York can give us all four seasons, right? You can have your, you know, during the fall, I listen to a lot of Oasis, you know, Don't Go Away, Wonderwall. You, you listen to Oasis all the time. Um, I really do. One of my go-to Champagne Supernova. Um, or I'll listen to some Nirvana. I had a whole argument with people not knowing Nirvana a couple of days ago. Oh my gosh. Okay, and it hurt my soul. Like, you don't know the story of Nirvana, Kurt Cobain, Dave Grohl, Courtney Love, the Foo Fighters. Like, it's layers to this. The heart of grunge, which is why we look at Seattle in such a way. But you know what you sound like? You sound like our parents, like, you know, like band friend. It's like, you don't know Led Zeppelin? You don't know Ozzy Osbourne? Like, you know, like, that's who you are now. That's how we are to the new generation. I, 
I am the look. I am an old man. I am. Look. I am. I am somebody's grandma. No, you're I, an old man trapped in a twenty-year-old's body. I am. Well, thank you. You know, I look young half the time. Sometimes, you know. Well, because you're the the all those artists are, are before your time. That's early '90s. You were like barely born. That's not I'm your era. Barely, barely. But you, but you feel very connected to that to that time. Yeah. But I, let, well, you know what it is. You know what one thing is is that when you're like a young kid going through depression and you start to realize that you have depression at eight years old, you start to relate to it. Cause those are very formative years. You start to relate to a lot of sadder things. And then nine 11 happened when I was nine years old. Mm. So like I was already in depression and then my family was even more depressed because of nine 11. And then just bad shit after bad shit kept happening into our family year after year. To the point where the darker things, the sadder things, a lot of older things made me happy because I knew that they made other people happy sometimes or I could connect with it. And a lot of my favorite artists now, even modern ones, are very, you can tell they're very influenced by like the artists of yesteryear. You know, but and that's also one of the things like I, I I don't like I'm a I am a pop culture bitch. Like I love pop culture. I know I know too much pop culture. I could tell you so many stories about the old times and how many husband husband Liza Minnelli swears she had, and um and who and who really is the father of Betty Davis. Like I can tell you all of that. And whatever happened to Baby Jane? None of us really know. I'm gonna answer that one. None of us really know. But that bitch died. <laughs> she's dead um so uh, you know i'm knowing that you love music and pop culture like who are your your queer icons i love i love cindy Lauper. cindy Lauper. lopper 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 i like that lopper i met her one time she she's amazing i love her because she was so vocal in her activism towards the queer community from the start of her career. True colors. You know, and through hairstyles and bad fashion, she had stood with her. <laughs> and I respect and love that about her. And we don't, and, you know, like, a lot of people didn't really do that as hardcore as she did. And so that's one of the reasons, like, one of the, reasons I love her, but then you also look at like modern time, Kean Lonsdale, he's a great actor. The kids love him. And I think he's one of like the great things about like the young kids, especially for like, you know, the gen the, the Gen Z's and the younger Gen Gen um Gen Y, they can see people who were in their young years going through their queer, you know, coming out and seeing that they are normal people, that they're everyday and it's not just the a spectacular seeing you on a TV show, you know. So is he? He he's always been out. When did he come out? I don't know that much about him. I mean, I, I know he, he came was... out when he was like, I think when he was like, uh, when he first started acting. I so think young. he came out. He like he was he like he could he first of all he just he come he said he queer, mm. he's not like gay, and that was like a big deal, and then. He, I think he came out when he was like 18, 17, 18 when he first started acting, like majorly. And like now he's, now he's singing. 
Everyone thinks they're a singer now. Now he's a singer. So, like, you're going to be all queer and rooting for the cause and being on TV and singing. you multifaceted. And then you look at Justin Simeon. Have you seen Dear White People? Uh, I, uh, which one? The movie or the show? I think I've seen parts of the show. I haven't seen the movie. Okay. The movie gives me life. Okay. The movie gives me life. The show is amazing. I heard that. I heard that, yeah. Um, they're both written by Justin Simeon. Justin Simeon is a black queer screenwriter telling black stories, telling white stories, telling queer and straight stories. And he even had a, a one of his, one of the characters in Dear White People is positive. And like, it wasn't a big deal in the show. It's not like, you know, remember back in the 90s when they did in the 90s and early 2000s in sitcoms and like, and like primetime shows, they would have a one positive character and it would be like a big deal. And if it was a sitcom, they'd be like, the, you hear the audience audibly gasp, like, oh. Well, I mean, it, it, you have to look at like, it wasn't even until like the last 10 years that we, we've had the technology where if you follow your regiment with pills, if you live a healthy lifestyle, you should you can expect to live the same, you know, life expectancy as someone that doesn't have it. But it back then, I mean, speaking of like, you know, uh, Martha B. Johnson, like who I think die, all died of AIDS and like that hit was such a hit. No, to the Martha community. B. Johnson was no. murdered. Oh, she was murdered. Murdered. I don't know this. Murdered. Okay. Murdered. Oh. Tell us, tell us the story. So, okay, I'm going to tell the story, and then we're going to get to why you canceled. And I'm not going to do the story justice right now, but I am going to give you a good a good synopsis, okay? I already know I'm not going to do the story justice, but don't worry. I will be telling this story, and I will be in a part of a telling of this story coming soon. Don't worry, because it's going to be a great telling. But Marsha B. Johnson, we already know the story. Like, you know, she was coming from Jersey, um, Stonewall happened, throwing the brick, uh, her friendship with Sylvia Rivera, them starting the house, all that good stuff, right? We also know she did sex work, which, let's be honest, back in the day was the only way a lot of trans women of color were able to eat because people weren't hiring them because they were trans, because transphobia is real. Anyway, so... But Marsha P. Johnson also, it wasn't just gay pride that was her cause. She was also against um, racism within the, the, gay com- the gay community. All these little white gays who say they love Marsha P. Johnson, but are like, have, like, who are racist as fuck, they do not, like, live that vision of Marsha P. Johnson because she experienced racism from gay-ass bars in, in Hell's Kitchen. I've heard, I have seen and heard stories of racism um, experience in those bars in the West Village right now that is still there. Okay? So, uh, but the bars were also ran by, at the time, quote unquote, by the mob. And the story is that Marsha her mouth was open too much. 
and she got got by the mob. And that's where her, and then like they found her body in like off of the pier, like in the water. And like that's the story of Marsha P. Johnson. <laughs> not sure. a great synopsis. <laughs> not actually, I'm, I'm, I take back what I said. That was not a great synopsis. That was actually terrible. But she definitely um, didn't die of AIDS. She got got. She got got. And it's never been solved. Well, yeah, like you said, the mafia probably did it. I'm not saying that officially. We have to find out from your episode, right? I had you had to find out the information of the things of the things on in, the internet in the future, especially on the look. Web sleuthing is a whole thing. That's how they got the Carla Homoka guy, the guy, um, the guy that don't fuck with cat guy. That's how they got him. The guy who who said he would fucking Carla Homoka, but he wasn't. And why would he say that? That's terrible to say. You don't know nothing about that. No. You don't know anything about murder in Canada. <laughs> yeah, I try to stay away from Canada a little bit. Um, Canadians make me nervous. Canadians be racist. So I get it. Oh, well, I'm not going to generalize. I but... mean, I can generalize when I see the drastic numbers of indigenous people dying and getting murdered and the ones who the cop would throw out into the frozen tundra and let them freeze to death before taking them to jail. I I mean, I'm just saying, that's just uh that's just uh but they could make great TV shows. They make great TV shows. Now before my high ass goes off on another tangent, we have come to the part of the show where I have to ask you a very important question. Now, who is the question important to? Who is it important to? I don't know who the question would be important to. The question is important to me. Oh, okay. To me, because I'm asking it. Why would I ask you a question that's not important to me? Oh, I, I okay. I, maybe the question was important to me. Uh, no, I'm not going to ask <laughs> you anything about that, that matters okay. to you. Not, and not See, everything's not about that, me? Uh, I'm, I'm going to be the friend who tells you no. Okay. Lay it on me, brother. The, I'm going to be the friend who tells you that it's all about me right now. And why you canceled. So, that's why I'm canceled, because I don't give a fuck about y'all right now. This is, this is self-care Sunday. This is the only day I don't care about my friend. <laughs> but if I have an emergency, you better answer, even if it is self-care <laughs> Sunday. But Bitch, I just arrived in SF. You need to pick me up. Just in case. Okay? Um... So today's important question is, why are you canceled this week, dear Nikki? Oh boy, I'm canceled for so many reasons. I'm so problematic. Um, yeah, um, I have one of your exes on speed dial who can tell me why you're problematic. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you. Well, okay. So <laughs> something that I, okay. So there's a few things that I learned this week. Um, one is like, uh, is, uh, uh, police toning. Have you heard about this? It's like when someone, it usually has to do with like 
interracial conversations. So like, let's say one friend says something racist, that, like, you know, and then the, the person of color gets upset about that, that comment. And, and so the other person says, like the, the person that made the comment says, why are you getting so mad? I understand you're upset, but like, there's no reason to get, so that's, you know, policing the tone of the reaction of the other person. So I thought that was an interesting like thing I learned. Well, yeah. Um, yeah. A lot of people have to learn that because it's one of those things of like, you don't experience racism. We do. Right. So you don't understand what it is. Just saying you're not racist isn't enough. You know what I mean? And everything that, and it's, it's also unlearning. Cause we all, we all grew up, our generation at least, grew up making comments that are yep. now, as you look back on it, we look back and like hindsight is 2020. Yo, we said some fucked up shit. Yeah. Yeah. And it's woven into the culture too. Right. Like, like half the how, shit. Like, <laughs> My vocabulary like, is axed. I mean, are you... But Are that wasn't canceled? my cancel. I'm not canceled for this. That that was just something I learned. The cancel thing, oh. I think. <laughs> okay. was, so I um I did a speak to um uh about my career and like how I I got into my position to like 300 middle schoolers in San Francisco. So it was a Zoom call where I spoke to 300 middle schoolers that are about to graduate. I guess into ninth grade or. Yeah, no, there were most of them were in sixth, seventh, eighth grade. Anyway, the topic came up and like, what is code switching? And I kind of went into what code switching is. And it's, you know, the definition is that um, you, it's about speaking in a language that doesn't make the other person you're speaking with uncomfortable. You know, that can be interpreted a lot of different ways. But when I mentioned it, it was like, hey, I'm gay and I'm hella gay. So if when I'm in a business meeting, I kind of tone down my gayness because that might make someone I'm working, working with uncomfortable. That, that's me switching my language. So when I mentioned this, uh, one of the teachers said, well, code switching isn't necessarily a good thing. And he was specifically talking about like, you know, dress codes, for instance, you know, it's a big deal for, for, because African-Americans like have bigger hair or whatever, they might because they can't straighten it or make it into like a dress code there, they could be, you know, not accepted for a position, but then even in code switching in language, like, you know, it's not, it's not okay for an employer to say you talk a certain way and you can, and, and I'm not going to hire you because of that. Uh-huh. You know, so, it, so I, I, I was canceled when myself, because after I made that statement and he brought it up, uh, like in the chat, I was like, you know, that's absolutely true. I'm fucking canceled. Yeah, no, um, I, so, I don't code switch as much as I used to. Um, Even when I worked for Black people, I still had the code switch. Because we worked under white people. And there was, and our customer base was predominantly white people. Like, actually, the, like, it was like, 85% 85% white people who shop there and who live near there. So I got it. You know what I mean? Um, but at the same time, I am, I was so exhausted because I was, I was experiencing racism already. 
all the time and in my own dating life. That was the problem. I was experiencing it in my dating life. Um, I had finally realized that I was experiencing it in my personal life, my friendship life. Because like part of me was just like letting it slide by because I didn't want to lose friendship because I had abandonment issue. You know, it all stems from something that makes you wake up. Something, it, all of us wake up from something that is important to us, right? Personal. Um, so it is like, and now I don't have to coach with. When I go into the office, I talk to my boss the same way I talk to my friends. Like, but we understand each other. And yes, I'll have to code switch when I'm near certain people, certain people that I work with, but very rarely do I do it. And then like the ones who I code switch for, it's because I don't like them. (laughs) (laughs) I don't need you to know I'm cool, whether or not I'm cool with you. I'm going to code switch because I'm going to keep a straight face so I don't let you know that I don't like your ass. How are you like when you don't like someone? Hi, my name is Lamel. Um, I can help you with anything you need today. Just let me know. Um, I got you. Uh, but I just know my I'm only available between this time and this time. After that, you are going to have to wait to reach me within like two to three days. And Great. then when he likes someone. Hey, how you doing? That's good. <laughs> okay, cool. Um, you want to, okay, like. You want to go to the meeting now? You were like, what do you want to meet now? What do you want to you meet? Want, you want my cell phone number? Like, you want to go into the conference room or do you want to go to the bar? Which one do you want? Either way, I got you. I got mm. all of these numbers right here, all of the projections. I have the sales volume. It's ready to go. Okay, we are reaching our goal. I got you. I told you I got you, and I did. You know that. That. I'm going to let you know I'm your friend. Yeah, I know. And, and both of those are completely acceptable, in my opinion. Right. But there is a difference between the thing is code switching is so ingrained in us, especially in African American people. Um, especially in Latinx people, especially in Asian American people. Because you are told by society that your culture is less than and that you won't get a job because you look this way, because you grew up in this environment, because you are not above this, you know, you don't have this amount of money. You don't speak a certain way. You don't use the vocabulary a certain way. Right. Your hair isn't done the way we want it done. You know? And that's why they have to code switch. That's one of the reasons why, you know, people always get so mad when we talk about cultural appropriation of like, white girls getting braids and then black girls having to, you know, dye or straighten their hair. That's because black women have been told that their hair was dirty, unkempt, unprofessional, unnatural for years, even though it is literally called going natural. And white girls, they're like, well, we just, I just think this looks good at me. No, baby, your hair isn't catching. Your hair is not catching. You're going to have to use a shit ton of rubber bands to hold this shit together. This ain't meant for you right now, boo-boo. It's really not. Uh, every American city needs to have a fen. I'm be real. Everybody deserves a fen in your life to tell you what the fuck you're doing wrong. 
but I don't have enough time for all of y'all. <laughs> we just need to clone you. I would. I. I would. I would. I bet my clones would be sexy. They'd probably my start their own nation. They'd leave all their cities and start their own nation. Yo, me and a bunch of clones, me on an island. On our own oh. sovereign nation. Just a thousand of me. Wow, horrifying. Yo, that'd be like, it'd be like a, it'd be terrifying for a lot of people, but really fun for some. For some, for some. And for others, oh, Squally's group. Squally's group? Okay. Now that I have Squally's group and giving you guys another reason to cancel me, I keep giving you reasons to cancel me every time. Why are you canceled? Well, I was already canceled because I'm a hot mess and because I listened to Dirt Nasty, but we've heard me talk today, so I'm high. This is another reason to cancel me. This is, I'm a hot mess right now. My ADD brain, it's because it's so, hit what happened. It's summertime. Part of me is like, I'm not used to being out yet because of COVID. Like, you know, because of COVID, I've been like at the, at the office and home. At the office and home. Those are my only two places. And so I'm still not acclimated to being out. So, like, my brain is, like, in 5,000 levels of everything, like, because, like, I've been out, I've been in, I don't know if I should be out more, should I stay and play The Sims, should I No, you, you need to be out. Look at, I can see the sunlight on your face, you need to be outside. The Sims Enjoy are right there, the Sims are right there. The Sims? They just had, I just had them celebrate Pride on The Sims. Do yeah. you interact with other people? Like, is it online Sims or is it? No, but there, but there used to be the Sims online years ago, and they said the Sims Five might be online. It might be rumored that you can interact with other Sim players online in the future. And if this is the case, you've been literally playing the Sims for like a decade now. I've been playing the Sims for two decades since two thousand, since the year two thousand. It had been twenty-one years of the Sims. Wow. Incredible. I I have the lore. I have the the cheat codes. I have the storylines. I have done the challenges. I follow the right Instagrams and and content creators and tumblers. Oh yeah, I'll be on. I'll be on. All right, so. And we're going to get ready to close out now. But I do want to know, is La Peep going to be making any appearances on the interwebs soon? Uh, kind of. So, I mean, moving here and looking at, like, you know, I just don't, I don't have the same passion I did for drag when I was in New York. Like, when I first arrived, it was a godsend. Like, I didn't know anybody. I, I needed something creative because I was working 60 hours a week trying to find my career. So it, it, there was a reason now that I'm very secure in my career, you know, I have a boyfriend, like it doesn't make as much sense for me to start from scratch, especially, you know, cause I have to start, I have to start networking from scratch. I'm still doing um, creative stuff, but right now I'm working on a short film and um, I'm still deciding if La Peep is going to be the main character. So I'm still going to do looks. I'm still going to go out to parties, but no, I don't have anything 
planned other than um, I think I'll be hosting a booth at National Coming Out Day in San Francisco, which is going to be the replacement for a gay pride party. So when that gets closer, I'll definitely post a flyer. But if anyone wants okay. to check out my drag, Le Peep, L-E dot P-E-E-P, Instagram. On the interweb. Mm-hmm. I, I love Le Peep. I think Le Peep is fun. Le Peep gives me life all the time. Um, I mean, but you know me, I love a good drag queen. I love a good drag queen. I well, they don't like me because I'm not a good drag queen. I'm a drag queen. I'm not a good one. I like, I, I, when I say I like a good drag queen, I mean, I like terrible white trash white drag queen. Oh, that's uh, me. me. Let me tell you something. There used to be a, there used to be a night. There used to be this bar in North Carolina and it was like a basement bar and they had white trash Wednesday. Which was all the drag queens. No, Trailer Trash Wednesday. They had Trailer Trash Wednesday. And it was all the drag queens would be doing their their best work. Their best work. And it was flawless. It was there was spilling beer everywhere. You felt the air of Jeff Foxworthy in the background. Oh, and that mustache. And that mustache. Some of the drag queens did have that mustache. Like, that's my kind of drag. I like terrible good drag. I want to see you stumbling. I want to see you in some bad heels. I want to know why you're wearing bright pink neon heels with, like, like vampire red corsets. Like, I want to have questions. But it can't just be messy. There has to be something creative to make you think... Because, like, there's a difference between messy with no purpose and messy with kind of, like, a narrative around it. I'm the the latter. Out of the box. Out of the box, yeah. You know? Yeah. Anyway, so now we're going to close out. I do want to thank you for joining me, for being here. So I hope I get to antagonize you and bring you back. Yeah, of course. I'll be back in New York in December, so we we should do interviews on the street. We, I'll, really we'll do them together. You. I really will fight you. It'll you be know. fun. It'll be fun. Oh my God. I'm going to get out of here. I'm going to get out of here. I'm going I'm to cook me a dinner. And yes. I don't know what I'm going to cook, but I'm going to cook me a dinner. I'm and you go outside. Me. Go outside for a walk. I might go outside for a walk. <laughs> not virtually. Outside. Not in The Sims. Girl, outside the physical door around the block. Around the block. I mean, I guess, I guess, maybe I can go pick me up some ice cream. There you go. Who knows you're going to meet on the way? Or oh, sherbet. Because I, I really shouldn't be eating ice cream. I'm not close intolerant. I know better. <laughs> okay, Fen. You cancel. Okay, I'm going to get off this here. All right. I want to thank you for being here. And I don't know how to close this out. I've never got a, a good, I never really found a good sign off. And I'm not going to keep doing the Jerry Spender thing. So, um, just stick around, bitches. Just buckle up, buttercup, because next week, I don't know what the fuck's going to happen, but it's going to be a while. <laughs>